out, hee-haw. You know, I remember when, uh, you know, Junior and then, uh, you know, Roy and Buck and, uh, you know, Grandpa would kind of blow on that jug and say, you know, gloom, despair, and agony on me, deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Yeah, right? Uh, gloom, despair, and agony on me. Seriously? I mean, really? What's the point? What, what's it all about? You know, the world's full of broken hearts and broken dreams and shattered lives. Life's hard and then you die. <laughs> yeah. The only thing that you can count on in life is death and, wow, taxes. Hey, it's like you're always stuck in second gear when it hasn't been your day, your week, your month, or even your year, or maybe your decade. I mean, really, all we can say is that we're still on this side of the grass. <laughs> Does anything satisfy long-term work? I mean, there's nothing new. Somebody else will benefit from all my work. We're going to die anyway. <laughs> you know, pleasure is meaningless and empty, and the pens prove that to me. Everybody's corrupt. We can't discover the meaning of life. Everything's overrated. Politics is pointless and corrupt. Everything is meaningless under the sun. Aren't you glad you came today? <laughs> I don't know if you've ever felt that way, but a lot of people have. I want to read something to you from the book of Ecclesiastes. It says, the words of the teacher son of David, king of Jerusalem, he says this, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north and round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. And to the place the streams come from, well, they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough to see, nor the ear is ever full of hearing, what has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything on which one can say, hey, look, there's something new? It was already there long ago. It was here long before our time. And there is no remembrance of man and the men of old. And even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I devoted, devoted myself to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under heaven. What a heavy burden God has laid on men. I have seen the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless. A chasing after the wind. What is twisted can't be straightened, and what is lacking can't be counted. 
I thought to myself, look, I have grown and increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge, and then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also to madness and to folly. But, you know, I learned that this too was a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. As I started to look at this passage, I, I wanted to figure out and help us see who wrote this and, and how did he ever get this way? <laughs> I mean, how did he get to this point where he felt like this? I, I will say that you, you obviously heard he was the king of Jerusalem, or the king of Israel, living in Jerusalem at the time. He, he wasn't just a regular king. He was one of the greatest kings of all of mankind. His name was Solomon. Solomon was the second son of David and Bathsheba. Their first son passed away. This man, when he was going to be crowned king, God appeared to him in a dream. And in that dream, he said, ask anything that you want, it will be granted to you. He said, what I want is wisdom to rule your people fairly. God was so pleased with Solomon's request that he said, not only will I give you that, I'll give you everything you didn't really even ask for, but I know you want. <laughs> so he lavished him. He, he was a, an amazing person. He, he was very brilliant. He was a great architect. He pleased God. He built one of the most magnificent structures ever, and that was the, the temple, God's holy temple in Jerusalem. The foundation to that temple is still there today. You might know it as the Wailing Wall. The things that he put together were phenomenal. He pleased God, but he had another side to him too. It's been said that man can withstand anything but perpetual prosperity. I believe that's kind of true. As, as I look at that, when, when we have more and more and more and more, we have a tendency at times to forget about who God is. And I look at this and I think that's kind of what happened. His position allowed him the opportunity to indulge himself. And he did that with a thousand wives. <laughs> Try to figure that one. <laughs> he did that with property and seizing lands and horses and great wealth. All the things, really, that God told him not to do. You know, I want to take a closer look at this whole under the sun Scripture passages, because I find it to be very interesting uh, as I go down that road about being under the sun. The first one is found in Ecclesiastes 1.3. Ecclesiastes 1.3, what do people gain from their labors at which they toil under the what? Sun, yeah. You know, work is work is work is work. Ecclesiastes 1.9 says this, what has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Now, Ecclesiastes 1.14, and it says, I have seen all the things that are done under the, and all of them are meaningless and a chasing after the wind. Ecclesiastes 2.18, it says, I hated all the things that I had toiled under the sun, because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. Huh. It's interesting. I work, 
they enjoy it. Anybody felt that way? Anybody have children? <laughs> Ecclesiastes 6.12. For who knows what is good for a person in life during the few and meaningless days they pass through like a shadow? Who can tell them what will happen under the... And I know I forgot to do that last time, sorry. For those of you that are keeping count. After they are gone... You know, it's that whole idea, right, of like shadows, life and our accomplishments don't last. Ecclesiastes 8.15, and it says this, So I commend the enjoyment of life because there is nothing better for a person under the, than to eat, drink, and be glad, then joy will accompany them in their toil all the days of their life God has given them under the Son, it's interesting, right? Eat, drink, and be merry, for basically tomorrow we die. I, I look at that and I'm saying, you know, we can't grasp what's going on. We can't in any way find a way, you know, to comprehend it. it, it think of it in the way of like maybe a child who's, you know, blowing bubbles and they, they, they go and they reach the bubble and when they grab the bubble and they open it, it's gone. That's what life seems like sometimes. I want to grab it. I want to hold it. I want it to embrace it. I want it to be mine. But then it's gone. Ecclesiastes 8, 17, Then I saw all that God has done. And no one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. Despite all their efforts to search it out, no one can discover its meaning. Even if the wise claim they know, they cannot really comprehend it. Ecclesiastes 9, 3. This is the evil in everything that happens under the, thanks, the same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of people, moreover, are full of evil. There is madness in their hearts while they live, and afterward, they join the dead. Once you're gone, you're gone. Wickedness and sin overtake all men. Ecclesiastes 10.5. There is an evil I have seen under the, the sort of error that arises from a ruler. After reading that, I thought Solomon could have used a map. I, I, I don't know. You know, here's the problem. Solomon was writing about life on earth under the S-U-N. Sin had separated us from God, and everything under the sun seemed meaningless and repetitive and mundane. And I think about that, that if we try to reach God under the S-U-N, religion will have the same effect. It will become meaningless, mundane, and repetitive. I, uh, I saw a clip in a movie called Walk the Line. It's a, it's a movie about Johnny Cash's life. And Johnny Cash is going in for his first audition to get a, a record label to hire him. I want you to take a look at this and talk about, and just think about, you know, this process of living under the S-U-N. Yes, I know when Jesus saved me, saved my soul. The very moment he forgave me, made me 
He took away my heavy burdens. Lord, he gave me peace within. Peace within. Well, Satan can't make me doubt it. I won't doubt it. Well, and I'm gonna shout it. I'm gonna shout well, it. Hold on. Hold on. I hate to interrupt, but you guys got something else. I'm sorry. I can't market gospel no more. So that's it? I don't record material that doesn't sell, Mr. Cash, and gospel like that doesn't sell. So is it the gospel or the way I sing it? Both. Well, what's wrong with the way I sing it? I don't believe you. You're saying I don't believe in God? JR, come on, let's go. No, I want to understand. I mean, we come down here, we play for a minute, and he tells me I don't believe in God. You know exactly what I'm telling you. We've already heard that song a hundred times, just like that, just like how you sang it. Well, he didn't let us bring it home. <laughs> bring it home? All right, let's bring it home. He was hit by a truck and you were lying out in that gutter dying, and you had time to sing one song, huh? One song people would remember before your dirt. One song that would let God know what you felt about your time here on earth. One song that would sum you up. You telling me that's the song you'd sing? That same Jimmy Davis tune we hear on the radio all day about your peace within and how it's real and how you're gonna shout it? Or would you sing something different? Something real, something you felt. Because I'm telling you right now, that's the kind of song people want to hear. That's the kind of song that truly saves people. You know, the whole idea of what saves people, something real. Something real. Not, not just some kind of a, a religious motion that we have a tendency to go through. And I, I ask myself the question and ask you, is your song, is your life real? Is your Christian faith believable? Do people see Christ in you? You know, Solomon knew and, and respected God. He acknowledged that God was in control and that God would judge the wicked and reward the righteous. But really, seriously, who is righteous? When we focus on things and self and not God, our conclusion, like his conclusion, is that chasing things is meaningless. I will say this, though, that Solomon had a huge disadvantage. And Solomon's big disadvantage was living before the advent of Jesus Christ. He knew what was under the S. U-N. A real relationship, not simply an intellectual relationship, is the difference between knowing and being. Knowing can simply be intellectual. Being is definitely relational. There is a definite difference between living under the S-U-N, right, and living under the S-O-N. We 
we have the privilege of knowing the difference. And I want to take a look. Let's check out some of the differences here as we go through this, this passage. And I want to just say that life under the sun, S-U-N, and life under the sun, S-O-N. Life under the sun, if you remember Solomon saying, work has no meaning. Now, if we go to 1 Corinthians 15, 58, it, it says something completely different. And 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says this, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain, right? Oh, man, even a cup of cold water given in my name. I remember that. I'm taking notes. I get it. Nothing that you do in the name of Christ is simply forgotten or done in vain. What a great thing to know. Under the S-U-N, Solomon says, there's nothing new. Well, 2 Corinthians 15, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Man, the old is gone, the new is here. How awesome is that? I can be changed from within. I can shout it because it's something that I'm not just thinking or, or have a knowledge of. It's something that I get to experience. Life under the S-U-N says that, you know, life is like chasing the wind. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. You know, listen, it's not going to matter, really, about your bank account. In 100 years from now, your bank account won't matter. Your, your, uh, uh, you know, your car won't matter. Your house won't matter. You know, the clothes you wear won't matter. What's going to matter is what you leave behind. People are going to remember you for something. I think how awesome it is to know that we matter. Colossians 1.10 is kind of a rebuttal to when... Solomon says, under the sun, all we do under the sun will be left to somebody else. And so this is the response. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. It becomes such a privilege to represent him. It's, it's a privilege for us to represent him. Again, under the S-U-N, Basically, all die anyway. But for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Okay, seriously, this is great stuff. Under the S-U-N, life has no ultimate meaning. We are never going to figure it out. Here's the deal. You want ultimate meaning? Get this. Sacrifice is the only reasonable response to God. For God, so love, for God so loved the world that therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes, right, will not perish. I look at that and I'm saying that is so amazing that, that when we put those two together, that we grasp the idea that Christ did this for us, and our duty, our response, our worship is to present our bodies as living sacrifices. Life has meaning. Romans 5.20 is a rebuttal to the fact that under the S-U-N, evil reigns. 
living under the S-O-N, says that the law was, was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin is increased, grace increased all the more. I mean, how awesome is that? That God's grace just gets bigger and bigger. Now again, right? Anybody that's ever been to one of my Bible studies would say, should we go on sinning that grace may abound? By no means. No way. It's not the point. You know, leaders and nations, they're corrupt. Don't get involved. Well, Romans 13.1. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Why? To accomplish his will. Doesn't mean that we're not a part of the process. But we need to understand that God has a plan, and his plan is so much bigger than ours. Living under the S-O-N brings meaning to the meaningless. If Christ is not the Son of God, we have no hope. But he says, I come to give you life and to give it more abundantly. He says, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but by me. See, this isn't exclusionary or condemning. It's, it's a roadmap to find God. It's good news for everyone. When Jesus was introduced to the world, the angel said this, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Life under the S-O-N is good news. When we were told in Matthew 28, 8, to go out and preach the gospel, it's important that we remember that the word gospel means good news. So, seriously, so what is this good news? And, and what's so great about this news? What's so good about this news that we're supposed to share and that we're supposed to preach? See, good news is grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. That's grace. That's good news. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, right? For we are saved by God's grace how? Through our faith and not by our works, so that anybody could boast about it. Good news is that the pressure, the pressure of what's happening in the, in the next life or in this life, the pressure's off of us. Other religions teach people how to appease God. Other religions are going to, to uh, tell them that their good works will gain them status and hopefully salvation. God's grace in sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross as a perfect sacrifice for our sin is awesome. You get that? It's not about our performance. It's about his provision and his acceptance of who we are. It's amazing. Good news is that Jesus came to deliver God's grace, which we don't deserve. Good news is that his love is unconditional. It's not about what you're doing or have done. It's about who you are because of what he has done. Good news is forgiveness of sin. If you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Good news is the power of a clear conscience. 
Good news is the promise of heaven and that death is not the end. That's good news. That's the gospel, right? As I look at this, oh, grave, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? It doesn't apply to us if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Good news is that Jesus didn't stay dead. He's alive, and by his Holy Spirit wants to live in you. Christ in you is the hope of glory. That's what the Word says. Good news is that he wants to transform us. And in him, the old is gone, the new is come. The good news is that it's, it's his righteousness, not our righteousness, that counts. For centuries, I believe Christians have been more concerned about being right than by extending grace. We have been guilty of being caught up with behavior modification rather than Holy Spirit transformation. We spend more energy worrying about the externals than the internals. I don't believe many people come to a faith in Jesus Christ because Christians are right. (laughs) I believe that people come to a faith and a knowledge of Jesus Christ because what they see is they see that Christians are love. Seriously? If you think you deserve God's grace, you're missing it. Who do you know that doesn't deserve God's grace? That guy at work? That woman down the street? Good news is that the gospel frees people from a religious tyranny. God gave the Israelites ten commandments. The first four commandments <laughs> are to love him. The last six are to love people. The Jewish religious leaders added hundreds of laws that only oppressed the people of God. Religiosity only binds man to inadequacy. Relationship with the SON brings us to sonship. The word says that we are joint heirs with Christ. Sons and daughters of God. This isn't just good news. <laughs> I mean, this is great news. This is awesome news. Life under the SON is worth living and most importantly worth sharing for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. You know, here's the interesting thing, right? This is good news. I carry my sin. This is my sin. But Jesus thought so highly of me that he comes from heaven and he takes my sin and he buries my sin, Right? And as he buries my sin, and he puts it down where no one can find it, as far as the east is from the west, the north, the south, he is deeper than any ocean. He buries my sin that it can't be retrieved. And, and I stand there before God like this when Jesus, right, raises from the dead, and he stands in the gap between God and me. And so that as God views me, he only sees Jesus. So even when I get tempted to do this, and I'm like, fall back to my crazy way. God sees Jesus. 
He is my righteousness. Now, I will say that life under the S-U-N becomes meaningless and unsatisfying because like Solomon, when our focus is on us and not on the things of God, we get bored, we get lethargic, we get unproductive, we get self-centered. That's what Solomon did. But life under the S-O-N will be satisfying and purposeful no matter what your situation because your focus will be on the things of God which are this, loving him and loving people with grace and acceptance that's genuine. Our focus needs to be on Jesus. I want to show you a video about what it is to focus on Jesus. What if I told you Jesus came to abolish religion what if I told you voting Republican really wasn't his mission? What if I told you Republican doesn't automatically mean Christian, and just because you call some people blind doesn't automatically give you vision? I mean, if religion is so great, why has it started so many wars? Why does it build huge churches but fails to feed the poor? Tell single moms God doesn't love them if they've ever had a divorce, but in the Old Testament, God actually calls religious people whores. Religion might preach grace, but another thing they practice, tend to ridicule God's people, they did it to John the Baptist. They can't fix their problems and so they just mask it, not realizing religion's like spraying perfume on a casket. See, the problem with religion is it never gets to the core. It's just behavior modification, like a long list of chores. Like, let's dress up the outside, make it look nice and neat, but it's funny, that's what they used to do to mummies while the corpse rots underneath. Now I ain't judging, I'm just saying, quit putting on a fake look. Because there's a problem if people only know that you're a Christian by your Facebook. I mean, in every other aspect of life, you know that logic's unworthy. It's like saying you play for the Lakers just because you bought a jersey. See, this was me too, but no one seemed to be on to me. Acting like a church kid while addicted to pornography. See, on Sunday I'd go to church, but Saturday getting faded, acting if I was simply created to just have sex and get wasted. See, I spent my whole life building this facade of neatness, but now that I know Jesus, I boast in my weakness. Because if grace is water, then the church should be an ocean. It's not a museum for good people, it's a hospital for the broken. Which means I don't have to hide my failure, I don't have to hide my sin. Because it doesn't depend on me, it depends on Him. See, because when I was God's enemy, and certainly not a fan, He looked down and said, I want that man. Which is why Jesus hated religion, and for it He called them fools. Don't you see so much better than just following some rules? Now let me clarify. I love the church, I love the Bible, and yes, I believe in sin. But if Jesus came to your church, would they actually let him in? See, remember he was called a glutton and a drunkard by religious men, but the Son of God never supports self-righteousness, not now, not then. Now back to the point, one thing is vital to mention. 
how Jesus and religion are on opposite spectrums. See, one's the work of God, but one's a man-made invention. See, one is the cure, but the other's the infection. See, because religion says do, Jesus says done. Religion says slave, Jesus says son. Religion puts you in bondage, while Jesus sets you free. Religion makes you blind, but Jesus makes you see. And that's why religion and Jesus are two different clans. Religion is man searching for God. Christianity is God searching for man, which is why salvation is freely mine and forgiveness is my own. Not based on my merits, but Jesus' obedience alone. Because he took the crown of thorns and the blood dripped down his face. He took what we all deserved. I guess that's why you call it grace. And while being murdered, he yelled, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Because when he was dangling on that cross, he was thinking of you. And he absorbed all your sin and he buried it in the tomb, which is why I'm kneeling at the cross saying, come on, there's room. So for religion, no, I hate it. In fact, I literally resent it. Because when Jesus said, it is finished, I believe he meant it. And then he carries on in and through us. Those who have been forgiven much will love much. Those who have been forgiven much will worship him accordingly. Life under the SON is our only hope for meaning and fulfillment. It's not rainbows and butterflies. It's a faith decision to see beyond this world and to see people as God sees people, not with condemnation, but with love and grace. Under the SUN, everything becomes meaningless. I want to say a little life lesson. It's not what you know. It's who you know. Do you know the sun? Do you know the S-O-N? If so, great. If not, we've got good news. Let's worship him together.